Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we are going to be covering, well, beginning to cover Genesis chapter 36 and uh, the very first verse of chapter 37. This is actually going to comprise uh, an entire Toledoth. Uh, We've talked about those. Those are natural divisions within the book of Genesis. And we see those coming out in the translation, the generations of, or these are the generations of. And so we've, we've talked about that. Now, you get a picture of this in verse 1 of chapter 36, where we see this Toledoth, uh, that's what it, roughly how you would say that in Hebrew. Uh, of course, this is written in Hebrew, so it, it would it would say this uh, Toledoth uh, of Esau here. And so we get that, and then we get a, another Toledoth statement uh, in Genesis 37 in verse 2. So that's that really makes up the pericope. Now, this is an interesting chapter because it is a single Toledoth, but it is quite cumbersome. Here's what Victor Hamilton said with regard to Genesis 36. Um, he Really, essentially, this is a very difficult chapter. Here's how he put it. Chapter 36 is one of the longest in Genesis, and it is given over exclusively to genealogy. Esau's family, and lists of Edomite leaders. Illustrative of the Bible's interest in the development and history of other nations is the inclusion of 43 verses that trace meticulously the proliferation and history of the Edomites. So we have a large section to get through that is mainly genealogy. That makes it challenging, which is why when we go through it, we're going to go through it in large swaths uh, as we did in the last chapter as well. Perhaps even more so in this one. It is actually one of the longest chapters in the entire book, and it gets us through Esau's descendants, but how many descendants there are. One point that we get early on uh, in this chapter is that Esau is Edom. Uh, We see that in verse 1, verse 8, verse 19, and verse 43 of this chapter, and uh, which is the last verse of chapter 36. Interesting because in verse 1, we have that, and then we have it again at the end. And we kind of have it in the middle there in verse 19. So it's almost kind of a chiasm, or a chiasm, if you will, where uh, we we get the, the point at the beginning, we get it again right at the middle, and we get it at the end. One might even be able to argue that that's one of the main points of the text. In other words, when we think of Edom, We need to associate this wicked nation and these people who end up being the enemies of Israel with Esau. 
So when you hear of Edomites, you have to think of that way. And and we see that in verse one. These are the generations of Esau. And then we have this parenthetical statement, of course, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit by Moses, that is Edom. That is putting Edom in apposition to Esau, saying Esau and Edom are the same person, the same thing going on here. And we also learn from this uh, that this chapter can only properly be understood in light of the blessing that was given to Esau way back in Genesis 27, verses 39 to 40. Indeed, it is fulfilled and recorded for us right here. He dwelt with the fatness of the earth. He lived by the sword, and he shook off the yoke of his brother from his neck. Uh, So that's really quite a testimony uh, there. That, that that is what he, he was going to live off the land. He's going to be a wild man. He was going to shake the yoke of his brother off of his neck. And we see that all coming to pass in this chapter. So as we begin to look at this chapter then, when I had preached through this, we called this the prosperous land. We're looking at the land in which e- Edom or Esau is dwelling And we find out that it is actually going to be very prosperous for him. And there are some lessons that we can learn along the way. Uh, The very first one that we'll look at here is going to take us from verse 1 all the way to verse 19. And we see that God blesses Esau's house. And in this, in his blessing of Esau's house, we learn that God is a God of detail. Let's take a moment here and read the first few verses. These are the generations of Esau, that is Edom. Esau took his wives from the Canaanites, Ada, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, Aholibamah, the daughter of Ana, the daughter of Zibion the Hivite, and Basemath, Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Nebaioth. And Ada bore to Esau Eliphaz, Basemath bore Reuel, and a holy Bama bore Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him in the land of Canaan. Okay, we'll stop right there in the verse, first five verses. God blesses Esau's home, and God is God of detail. In verses one to five, we see that Jacob fathered a lot of children here, okay? And what we're going to discover is that Jacob, not Esau, Jacob is Esau's brother. Uh, Jacob fathered 13 children by two wives and two concubines. He had his 12 sons and then his daughter. And Esau fathered five children by three wives. Five children by three wives. That's what we learn here in these first five verses. Now, the thing that we need to make sure that we keep in mind here is not to get confused by the repetition that we see in these verses. We see a holy Bama, and then a holy Bama is mentioned again. Uh, we see a lot of these people mentioned twice. Okay, Hamilton points out here in this that in the references to these three women as wives, the order is Ada, a holy Bama, and Basemath. We get that in verses two to three. And in the references to these women as mothers, the order is Ada, Basemath, and Oholibama. So what we have here is we have wives and then mothers. So 
That's why we have a little bit of a mix-up there. So thanks to Victor Hamilton for ferreting all of that out for us. We just say that to make sure that we understand there's no mistake in there. Uh, One is in the order that they're married and the other is as mothers. Okay, that's that takes us through verse 5. Let's keep going then. We're going to try and get through verse 19 here in this episode at least. In verses 6 to 8, we discovered that the land is full. Let's take a look. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, and all his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into a land away from his brother Jacob. For their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. Then we get that parenthetical statement again that we mentioned earlier. Again, we're just going to be reminded of it throughout the whole chapter four times, as a matter of fact. So what we discover here very plainly is that the parting of the two brothers, they're going their own separate ways, doesn't appear to be due to animosity. Now, that's important to note because when they left, there certainly was animosity. We can go back and read that in chapters 27 and 28. But it's more like what Abraham and Lot experienced between their herdsmen, and that happened back in Genesis 13, verse 6. And we see this, Alan Ross makes this comment that Esau left Uh, for the east and for greener land, the great substance was part of God's blessing on Esau uh, that we read about back in Genesis 27, 39 to 40. So there's no animosity here. There's no uh, quarreling. There's nothing like that. The scripture is very plain here that the land could not support them because of their livestock. Both men are prospering greatly because God is God of his word, because God is God of detail, because God had blessed uh, Esau and God had blessed Jacob, and now both of them are being blessed, and the land simply cannot sustain them both. It's very practical. We should note that while Esau is outside of the covenant promises that Jacob received, God still blesses him in at least two ways according to the early verses in the chapter. In verses 4 and 5, he blesses him with children. If we go back and read, I believe it's Psalm 127, uh, we recognize that children are indeed a heritage of the Lord, uh, a blessing of the Lord, and, and his heritage, and blessed is the man who has children, right? So we understand that. In verses 4 and 5, we read about his children. He's blessed that way. But in verses 6 to 7, which we just read, uh, God also blesses him in his prosperity with his livestock, his beasts, his property. All of those things are also very significant blessings. We're going to keep reading here and get down through verse 19. These are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites in the hill country of Seir. Now, there is a little bit of question, is this a brand new Toledoth? No, it's not, because the first one in verse 1 says these are the generations of Esau. Uh, And it's not a different person here. There's not a second person named Esau. But now it is going to take a different direction here. The father of the Edomites. Okay, so we have that. 
we have this parenthetical uh, appositional statement in verse 1 and verse 8, Esau is Edom. And now we get the idea that he is the genesis of Edom. He's the father of them, right? He's the beginning. This is where the nation of Edom, the people of Edom come from. They come from this one person. So verse 9, these are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons, Eliphaz, the son of Adah, the wife of Esau, Reel, the son of Basemath, the wife of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz, uh, or Eliphaz, excuse me, were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Kenaz. Verse 12 is a parenthetical statement. Timnah was the concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son. She bore Amalek to Eliphaz. Now, I just want to point out, and we're in the middle of verse 12 here, that some of these names, some of them won't sound familiar, but some of them will. Amalek, right? We've heard of the Amaleks, or the Amalekites, excuse me. And so it's important for us to, to understand that one of the reasons that we're getting this, which we'll kind of make this comment as we go through the text, is that we are getting this so that we understand where these people came from. There's no separate creation event. God doesn't just ignore everybody else. We know where everybody in the world came from, both before the flood and after the flood. Yes, we all find our genesis, our origin in Adam, but then we all get boiled down. Remember, the the human race gets reduced to eight people at the time of the flood, Noah, his wife, uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, his three sons and their wives. That's eight people. And then after the flood, the entire world, the world in which you and I inhabit today is here because of those eight people. So we all get funneled down to there. But with regards to Israel's history, as they encounter enemies later on who are in the land, we're discovering that they all have their genesis, if you will, their origin, their beginning. They all have them here, and we can see that it is very, very purposeful. So it gives them time to remember, we're going to leave the book of Genesis uh, at, at the end, and then there's going to be a period of 430 years, and there's enough time now for multiple generations of these other people that come from both Ishmael and from Esau to populate the land around them and spread out. Okay, so we meet the uh, the Amalekites later on, Numbers chapter 24, verse 20, uh, we read this, and he looked on Amalek and took up his discourse, and he said Amalek was the first among the nations, but its end is utter destruction. First Samuel 15, verses 2 and 3, thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. This is going to, they're going to come back during the Exodus. Verse 3 of First Samuel 15, now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Very sobering words there. This is one of Esau's sons, but it's one that we're more familiar with. We might not be familiar as much with Timon and Omar and Zepho uh, and Gatam and Kenaz. Okay, keep going in verse 12. These are the sons of Ada, Esau's wife. Uh, these are the sons of Reuel. Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These are the sons of Basemath, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Aholibamah, the daughter of Anah, the daughter of Zibion, 
Esau's wife. She bore to Esau Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. And again, Korah, we recognize that name as well. These are the chiefs of the sons of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau, the chiefs Teman, Omar, Zepho, Kenaz, Korah, Gatam, Amalek. These are the chiefs of Eliphaz in the, in the land of Edom. The, these are the sons of Ada. So again, a lot of repetition here, and we're understanding more of a societal and a cultural structure. Not only are they his sons, but now they're chiefs. They're leaders of their people. From them are going to be born many people. They're going to take their wives from the land of the Canaanites, other of Ishmael's descendants, no doubt. Uh, This is where they're all going to come from, and they're going to greatly and heavily populate the area. Okay, uh, verse 17, these are the sons of Reol, Esau's son, the chiefs, uh, Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, and Mizah. These are the chiefs of Reol in the land of Edom. These are the sons of uh, of Basemath, Esau's wife. And now, verse 18, these are the sons of a holy Bama. So the next two verses, Esau's wife, the chiefs, Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. These are the chiefs born of a holy Bama, the daughter of Anah, Esau's wives. These, verse 19, are the sons of Esau. That is Edom. There's your appositional parenthetical statement again. And these are their chiefs. So God is very detail oriented in all of this. And it's something that we should really take to heart. Not that we should get bogged down, not that we're going to spend a lot of time meditating on it, but one thing that we should really walk away from this passage with is a great appreciation. Not only do we know of people that are familiar to us as we've read through the Old Testament, but other people, which helps explain some of the other nations that we will encounter later on. And it's like, wow, how did these people get here? Well, the Bible gives us a, a very plausible explanation that there are there are certain children, there are certain sons that are of a certain name that if all of these people become people groups, uh, then it would explain uh, the origin of these people and they're going to continue to spread out. Jacob's going to inhabit this one area. God's going to bring him there. And then after uh, the time in Egypt, he's going to bring them back again, and then they're going to drive out the inhabitants of a particular portion of land, the land that was promised to Abraham and his particular descendants, that is through Isaac and then Jacob, not Ishmael and Esau. And so those who are in that land are going to be dispersed, but they've already been dispersing. They're already dispersing now that we see that, right? Esau is moving away into the land of Seir, Uh, He's going to be a neighbor, a distant neighbor, but eventually it's not his sons and Jacob's sons that are necessarily going to be at enmity with each other. 430 years later, yeah, there's going to be some enmity going on. So God is very much a God of detail. And because of the blessings that have been promised back in Genesis 27, verses 39 to 40, he had promised to bless Esau. And we see that coming Uh, to fruition right here in these verses. And it's a reminder to us that God is always going to keep his word. Uh, You know, a lot of time, considerable time had passed in one lifetime, at least 20 plus years. And we just have to remember, God doesn't grow old. He doesn't forget things. And so he's going to honor his word. But God gives us detail because he He wants us to understand that he knows and he's given us all the information that we need. Remember, 
We don't have every detail about every topic under the sun, but his word, by his divine power, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, he has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have enough here, and we'll continue to have enough as we work through the rest of this chapter. We have enough here to trust the Lord, to understand that he is a God of detail, that he blesses those whom he said he will bless, he keeps his word, and he's meticulous in all these things. That makes me love him more, and I hope it does the same for you. Well, that's all we have time for today. We'll pick it up uh, in verse 20 in our next episode. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.